right. Whew. Man. That one about brought me to tears right there. I am so pumped up right now. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. That is in the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, John. It's the fourth, fourth book in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. When we talk about the Gospel here, uh, we are talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came to earth, that He uh, died on the cross for our sins, that He took the, the penalty for our sins, and He took those on the cross in our place, and he was a sacrifice, and then he went to the tomb, and he, he died, and he went to the tomb, and then he was resurrected today, and, and that's, uh, I tell you, the gospel is so, so life-changing, and it's so life-transforming. It is the good news. It's the power. It's the power of the gospel, and so uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the gospel of John, John chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. So, follow along with me. Here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's, that's the, the writer of this gospel. He refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. If you write your own book, you can do that. So, he ran, uh, to, so she ran to, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So for every competitive person in this room, this is your verse right here, okay? Uh, if you're a competitive person, you can print this verse out and put it up on your mirror. Uh, John is saying he outran Peter. Uh, he's, he's faster than Peter. We know that. So, so he reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded, folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that uh, he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she, stood, uh, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for just the opportunity to gather together collectively as a church to worship you and to sing praises to you and to lift you up. Father, we thank you for uh, your graciousness. We thank you for your kindness and mercy. God, that you allow us this opportunity, that you uh, give us breath in our lungs. And Father, we just pray now as we come to your word, that as we come to, to study and to, to just celebrate the resurrection, God, we pray that your spirit would just continue to fill this place and that you would move. God, that we would just lift your son Jesus up, that he would be exalted. And that people would see themselves for who they are and that they would see Jesus for who he is and what he's done and that they would see their need for Jesus. Father, that is our prayer this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you guys have a favorite superhero? How many of you guys have a favorite superhero? How many of you guys, when you were little, had a favorite superhero? You guys can participate in the service. It's all right. How many of you guys, when you were younger, had a favorite superhero? What, what were some of them? Superman, Wonder Woman. You know what's funny? Who said Wonder Woman? You know, I, I, it's the funny, man. I actually saw an old episode of Wonder Woman the other day, and I was, I was folding laundry, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, I can't believe I watched this growing up. It is like, when you watch it today, it is crazy. It is crazy. All right, Wonder Woman, yeah, Superman, what else? He-Man, Batman, what else? What, what was that? Spider-Man, Spider-Man, anybody else? Anybody else? I don't know what it is, man. We love, we, we love superheroes. We are drawn to those type of movies. Uh, how many of you guys have, have liked the, the Marvel movies, like uh, the Avengers? Brandon, Brandon, you remember at CIY a few years ago, we went and saw, uh, was it the, uh, the first Avengers, right? Yeah, the first Avengers movie. We love those type of movies, right? We love the Spider-Man, the Superman, uh, all, all these, the Thor. We watched Thor a couple weeks ago for the first time. That's a good movie. Thor is a good movie. Uh, that dude is ripped up, man, I'll tell you right now. But, uh, but that, that's a good movie, and, and uh, we, we, we love those things. But i tell you, one of my favorites growing up was the Hulk. I love the Hulk. I love, I love in the Avengers, man, I think it's, I think it's the first Avengers, uh, where the Hulk is sitting there at that last fight scene, and what he says, me smash, me smash, or whatever. I love that. I love that scene. But I watched the, how many of you guys remember the TV show uh, back in the 80s, right? I think the TV show, his name was, uh, was it David Banner? And then now they got him Bruce Banner. Anyways, Dr. David Banner. And I love the Hulk, man. I love the Hulk. I used to act out the Hulk. I used to, when I was a, a, a I don't do it anymore, right? But when I was a little kid, I, I would watch the TV show, man. And then I would, I would go through the house, man. I'd, I'd, I would act out scenes from the TV show. And I kid you not, my mom tells a story. I don't remember this. Uh, she says, when I was three years old, we were at the preacher's house. And I was uh, apparently acting out scenes from the Hulk. And she says, I come running into the kitchen buck naked, all right, in front of the preacher and everybody, right? I mean, when I was three, I could get away with that. Not so much now, right? If I did that now, it would be a little crazy, right? But, but here's, the, here's the thing, man. We love, we love movies like that, but we know that those, those type of movies, they're not real, right? We, we know that they are myth. They're, they're, not, they're not real. Like, like we're not going to get bitten by a spider and then all of a sudden have webbing come from our wrists, you know what I'm saying? That's just not going to happen. We know that that's not true. It is myth. These are movies. They're not real. 
And the reality uh, this morning, today, is that there are a lot of people who believe that, uh, that Jesus is just a myth. They, they, they believe that, that he doesn't really exist. I mean, think about it. God comes down in the flesh. I mean, that kind of sounds a little mythical, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't, this doesn't sound real. God comes down in the flesh. Sounds very mythical. But, but some people believe that Jesus really did exist. Maybe he was real. Maybe he did uh, walk this earth, and, and maybe he did have some good teachings. But when it comes to the resurrection account of Jesus, where he fully died and was buried and then rose from the dead, many people believe that's just a legend passed down. Yeah, maybe Jesus lived, but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, man, that's just, that's just legend passed down. That's, that's, not, that's not real. Sure, once a year, we Christians get together to celebrate Easter, and we believe that this noble man rose from the dead, and that uh, it kind of gives everybody a, a bit of hope, and we kind of get geeked out about it, you know what I mean? We, we, we dress up a little bit, we get Easter baskets, and, uh, and it's, it's kind of fun, and it gives us a little bit of hope, but we all know that it's, just, it's not really true. It's just kind of legend passed down. Now, this notion is actually not new. In fact, if you've been with us over the past six weeks, you know that in the Gospel of John, uh, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, John, writes his Gospel specifically for doubters, the seekers, and the skeptics, people who didn't believe. John's sole purpose, his passion for writing this Gospel, was to literally prove the fact of not only Jesus' life and death, but also prove his resurrection. That, that Jesus is not a myth, and that his death, burial, and resurrection is not just simply legend passed down. Because there are many people today, and even in John's day, that have tried to, tried to just, just kind of pass it off. They, they try to explain the resurrection away. They, they, they try to develop theories to try to disprove that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Uh, and they'll say things like, you know, Jesus... He really didn't die. He only appeared to die on the cross. He didn't, he didn't literally die on the cross. Maybe he just fell into a, a coma. Maybe he, he just lost consciousness for a while. His vital signs got so low that, that he fell unconsciousness and, and, he, and he appeared to die. And then once he was put in the tomb, he just kind of all of a sudden revived, you know, like he just got this boost of energy and somehow he came too. Because apparently Jesus had been taking his vitamins... And apparently he had been doing his push-ups and sit-ups and his P90X and his T25, right? And all of a sudden, after, after enduring a trial, a mockery, a flogging, and a crucifixion, right? And he, he could then survive 36 hours in a stone tomb with neither warmth, food, nor medical care, unwrap himself. And we're talking unwrap himself. That When they buried people, they put these spices on them, right? And, and I'll mention this early, later on in the text. 75 pounds worth of spice, right? I mean, this would have been a lot of stuff. So Jesus did all that, and then he was able to push this massive stone away, right? After enduring all that, push this massive stone away, and then get past some highly trained Roman guards. So Jesus was also, also a stealth ninja, right? I mean, yeah, so that's, that's what people say. And then there are some people who believe that, that Jesus did die, and Tom mentioned this earlier, but while he was in the tomb, his body was stolen. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew's account of the resurrection story, that is the rumor that the Jewish authorities spread from the start. Hey, man, spread this rumor that Jesus' body was stolen. It was stolen. But John writes his gospel to prove those notions false. For instance, John 19.34 says this. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once they came out. One, at once there came out blood and water. Now, what John is doing is, is John is giving us uh, specific medical proof of Je- Jesus literally, physically dying. Jesus didn't appear to die. He didn't lose consciousness. But Jesus literally died. Now, there are two ways that you can die by crucifixion. And crucifixion was a very gruesome, uh, just uh, hard, hardcore death. I mean, it was one of the biggest fears that the Jews had was to die by crucifixion. And the two ways that you die by crucifixion are by asphyxiation or by hypovolemic shock. You guys ever heard that before? Yeah? Hypovolemic shock? While criminals, see, what would happen is while criminals hung on the cross, all right, what they would do is they were nailed there, they would be able to kind of push themselves up by their legs like this, and they would be able to kind of get their breath a little bit. And so after, after a, a long period of time, if you were still alive, if you hadn't died yet, and they thought you had suffered enough, then what they would do is the Roman guards would come through and they would break your legs, and so therefore you could not push up and then you would suffocate to death, Right? But, but the other way that you could die by, by crucifixion is that hypovolemic shock, which is kind of a prolonged rapid heartbeat where your heartbeat just kind of, you know, and you die. And then what happens is fluid builds up uh, right in this, uh, I think it's called the pericardial sac or something like that. It's right up underneath your heart there. And that's the way Jesus died. And he died like that to fulfill scripture, that actually fulfilled prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. That's why when the guards come to him and they're going to break his legs, they see that he's already dead. And so when the Roman guard pierces his side, he pierced that up underneath his rib, up underneath the heart, and then John says blood and water flowed. Hypovolemic shock. He had already died. John is giving us specific medical terms to show us that Jesus had died. He's sharing those with us. Now, now the thought that Jesus' body was stolen by thieves and robbers, John gives us some interesting details about the the linen cloth that Jesus was, was wrapped in. And in John 20, verse 5, it says this, John, stooping in, uh, to, stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. Now, why the details? Why is John giving us these details? Why did John see the linen cloth and believe? See, the word saw is repeated twice with emphasis in that, in that, in that verse. John saw the linen cloth. You see, the linen cloth, when he saw them, when he came to the tomb and he looked in, he saw the linen cloth had actually collapsed. That's the word that's used there, lying, collapsed. Collapsed. Which means the cloth had not been bundled up into the corner, which means Jesus didn't revive, kind of work his way through all this, you know, this, this weight of this cloth, and then just kind of throw it off to the side. But, but imagine in your, in your mind for a second that Jesus' body just kind of vanishes. It kind of, bam, it's, it's gone. And so the weight of all those spices, 75 pounds of, of, of weight, just kind of collapses. Undisturbed. Undisturbed. Man, they hadn't been manipulated. So that's why John saw and he believed. And then it states that the face cloth, this is great, this is, this is awesome. The, the, the face cloth was actually folded up and placed by itself. Now what John is communicating here is this, 
John is communicating that if, in fact, Jesus' body was stolen, what we have on our hands is the most kind, courteous, and thoughtful thieves in human history, right? That, that, that who, while stealing one of the most considerable, famous, debatable, heated figures of his day, one of the robbers thought to himself, wait a minute, okay, now let's go. You know, like they, they, they took, actually took time to fold the face cloth, right? I mean, that, that's what John is saying. John is making a case. It's like, no way, it couldn't have been. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. No one stole his body. John's making a case. But John gives more evidence. John gives more evidence, and I think this is probably one of the, the biggest pieces of evidence that John gives here for the validity and reality of Jesus' resurrection, and that is the very first eyewitness of Jesus. Now, it's not who you think it is. It's, it's not... It's not Peter, it's not John, it's not one of the great apostles or great men, but it's a woman. Now this may not seem strange to us, this this may not seem out of the ordinary to us, but in Jesus' day and culture, woman's testimony was not even permissible in the court of law. they, They were of lower class. And yet the first eyewitness in all four gospel accounts is not a man, and it's not just a woman, but it's a woman who had some serious issues. I mean, she has some serious issues. Her name is Mary. And you will find four to five significant Marys in the resurrection story of Jesus. But of all the Marys in the gospel, this is the worst Mary. No offense, Mary. But she is. I mean, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have some really other, you know, Marys who were wealthy. But this is Mary of Magdalene. Mary of Magdalene, okay? Luke, in Luke's gospel... Luke chapter 8, verse 2, uh, he tells us that this Mary, Mary Magdalene, came to Jesus, and guess how many demons possessed this woman? Seven demons. Seven demons possessed this woman. I mean, she was a little whacked out. Maybe you know somebody like that. I don't know. Uh, But she was just a little whacked out. But seven demons have started to control this woman. Think about it. This woman is so demonized and so oppressed and so depressed that her life is a wreck. I mean, she is in bad shape. She's horrible. And she runs into Jesus, and Jesus sets her free because he is God, and he has power over demons and darkness and depression, and her life is dramatically changed. And now, of all the candidates, of all the people that Jesus ministered to, the very first person to lay eyes on the resurrected Jesus is going to be Mary, the former demoniac. Mary, the former demoniac. What is John saying? I mean, he's saying that if someone is trying to be clever, if someone is trying to make up this this story to convince people that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead, then adding Mary of Magdalene is not going to help your case. It's not going to convince people. To add add Mary, Mary, former seven demons Mary, would not be your first choice. If you wanted to put together a story to convince people of the resurrection of Jesus, right, you would have used a Peter or a John or an apostle or somebody that had some clout, somebody that had, you know, somebody that people would believe, right? I mean, think about Mary, former seven demon Mary, comes to you and says, hey, guess what, guys? I saw Jesus. I saw him. Sure you did, Mary. You've probably seen a lot of things, haven't you? You know? You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? So, but that's the point. John is making a case. It should also be noted that Jesus in his kingdom and how he leads and how he, turned, how he leads uh, and how he rules turns the world upside down on its head. See, in that day, 
women were of lower class. And Mary Magdalene would have been of the lower class. And yet God says, I want Mary. I want Mary Magdalene to be the first person to see me after the resurrection. What an amazing God. Now this moves into a segment where it shows us this personal experience that Mary has with Jesus. And most scholars call this the most personal encounter that anyone has with the resurrected Jesus. The Bible says that Peter and John had left. They had gone. They were out. But Mary's not going anywhere. And you really got to wonder this morning if, if Mary really has anywhere else to go. I mean, for some of us today, Jesus is not just an accessory. Jesus isn't something that we've added on to our already kind of excellent life. For many of us here today, before Jesus, we were the most pathetic, the most broken, lost, aimless people you could ever meet. And then Jesus, Jesus alone, has rescued us, and he has brought purpose and meaning back to our life. And if he's gone, if Jesus is gone, then we have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to go. So Mary's at the tomb. She doesn't know what to do. He's gone. The Bible says that she wept, and more accurately, uh, the word that's used there is that she's wailing and sobbing. That, that was kind of the, the thing back in Jesus' day. If you remember the, the, the death of Lazarus and Jesus walks up there, people were wailing and sobbing. So she would have been wailing and sobbing. She, she's done. She's lost. Meaningless has set in on this woman. If Jesus can't conquer death, then death rules. And if death rules, then fear rules. And if when we die, it's all over, then this brief stint on this planet Earth with its, within itself is very, very meaningless. See, Mary is dealing with the despair that all of us as humans deal with. And that is, is this it? Is this it? Is this all I've got here today, gone tomorrow? I mean, I got 60, 70, 80, 90 years, maybe, at best, and then we die and we just cease to exist? Is this, is this it? Is this all I've got? Is this my purpose? What's, what's my purpose here? Do I just live for retirement? Is that, well, what's my purpose? And Mary is dealing with this real emotion. She has lost emotionally. She has lost spiritually. Where do I go? Where do I go? She is so distraught that when she sees the two angels all in white, not even the angels impress her. The two angels say to Mary, why are you weeping? I love this because she's just not impressed. She, says, she doesn't want angels, does she? Mary doesn't want angels, right? I mean, if you see angels, right, you'd be like, oh my gosh, these are angels. This is crazy. But she's not impressed. She doesn't want angels, does she? She wants Jesus. She wants Jesus. She says, they've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have taken him. Can you hear the grief and despair in her voice? Can you hear her voice just cracking, sobbing, tears streaming down her face? They've taken him. They've taken him. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. And then what happens next is nothing short of amazing. The Bible says she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not no, it was Jesus. And she, Jesus asked her the same question as the angels said, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, we can't give Mary too much flack here because you've got to think about this. Remember, Mary is grief-stricken. 
She is distraught. She's got, she's wailing, she's sobbing. She's, it's early in the morning, right? I mean, have you ever been so distraught, so tore up that you just can't think straight? You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you like, your mind's just out there, right? And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe she did need Jesus to fix her eyes. I don't know, maybe that was the next on his list. I don't know. But, but Mary is just so distraught that she, she just doesn't recognize it. She doesn't see it. And she, and she assumes he's just a gardener. Just a gardener. Think about that. How many people today just assume that Jesus is just another man? How many people today just assume that he's just like everybody else? That he lived a good life and he taught some good things, but that, that's really the extent of it. That Jesus is just another man, a gardener was so ordinary in that day. He was average and lower class. So she makes a statement, and the Bible says that she turned back away from the gardener, that she turned her back to the gardener. She was facing Jesus, who she assumed to be the gardener. She turned her back to the gardener. And this is how it all unfolds. And this is what's going to dictate and determine your eternal state. Is it Jesus? Is Jesus just another man? Is Jesus just an average man? Is Jesus just someone who came to this earth and just taught some good lessons and some good teachings and some moral code and moral ethics? And that's really the extent of it. So Mary turns. Mary turns in grief and despair. The reality that, that, that not even Jesus could conquer death. And then all of this is setting in. It's over. It's done. And then the Bible says that Jesus says something that changed everything. What did Jesus say to her? You guys can talk. You know? He said her name. Jesus said something that changed everything. He said her name. He called out, Mary. Mary. He said her name. You see, in John chapter 10, 10 chapters earlier, Jesus says, I am like a shepherd, and my people are like a sheep, and my sheep will know my voice, and I will call my sheep by name. Mary. Mary. She's got her back to Jesus. Mary. How long do you think it took Mary to turn around? How long do you think it took Mary to turn around? A second? Second, she, she, she doesn't see Jesus with her eyes, but she sees Jesus when he, she hears him call her name, Mary. She's in the depths of despair, wrestling with the reality that life again is meaningless, that even Jesus could not conquer death. And in one moment, at the mention of her name, one second, she turns around. And when she turned, the world was turning. When she turned, history was turning. There is one who has come to this world broken by sin, and he is perfect, and he is God in the flesh, and he came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live, and he died a sinner's death that we deserve to die, and he was put in the tomb, but on the third day he took the keys to death, hell and the grave, and he rose again and he conquered death. Amen? Amen. He conquered the unconquerable. He conquered our greatest enemy. He conquered death itself. And in that one moment, in that one moment when he said, Mary, everything changed. Mary turned. But that's when we turned. When we turn our back because we just assume that Jesus is just another man. 
when we assume that he's just an ordinary man, when we assume that he's just a gardener, or we assume that he's still in the grave, when our life is broken by sin and we are in the pit of despair wondering if this life has purpose and meaning, it's at that moment, listen, it's at that moment that Jesus is calling your name. He calls out to us. See, the resurrection is not just a historical event, but it's personal. It's personal. It's for you. It's for me. It's so that your life would turn around. It's so that you would turn around, so that you would know that even though you will die and pass from this planet, you can live forever because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death has been defeated. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your fear? It's been swallowed up in Jesus Christ. And that is the definition of hope. She turned. And now the elation, she is face to face with her death conquering Savior. Can you imagine the, the change of a Can you, I mean, this woman was wailing and sobbing, and now she's, she's elated. Like, I don't even know how she's, I, I don't know what's going on here. Like, I would love to see this picture. I mean, she is just overjoyed. He is alive forevermore, and that is good news for us today, is that the very same spirit that, wrote, that, that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that God gives us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Same Holy Spirit, same Spirit. We will never have to go searching or feel the sense of loss that Mary felt when she thought Jesus was gone. And now Mary, former demoniac Mary, gets the honor and privilege of being the first person to go and proclaim the good news that Jesus has resurrected. Can you imagine that scene? Like she walks into this room with all these great men, the great apostles. She's like, guess what, guys? I saw him. He's alive. He said my name. He's alive. And I want you to know this morning that if he appeared to Mary, he can appear to you too. It's your turn. God wants you to turn around. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you feel worthy or not, because none of us are worthy. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. Not anything that we have done, but it's all of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He defeated it. He defeated death. We are saved by his blood. It doesn't matter if you thought that he was just another man. It doesn't matter if you thought that uh, he was just a gardener or a historical figure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're here this morning and you're a doubter or you're a seeker or you're a skeptic. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to turn your despair into hope and to confidence and into peace. He wants to give your life purpose and meaning. And that's good news. Have you ever wondered why, how, how in the world people live on this earth with all the brokenness, with all the injustice, with all the hurt, with all the despair, with all, all these things going on without the hope of eternal life? How do, how, do you, how do you live without that? And see, that's the beautiful thing, man, is because John writes, his purpose for writing this gospel is so that you may believe. And that by believing, you would have life. And not just sucking oxygen kind of life on this planet, but life with him. That when we die on this earth, that we will be with Jesus in heaven for eternity. That's good news. See, Jesus is not a myth. His story is not legend. He is real. Jesus is a superhero. He is the superhero. 
He's the only one who has defeated sin in the grave, but it's also the greatest, greatest love story you can imagine because he did it so that you could know him. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice? I pray this morning that you would listen, that when he calls your name, that you would turn. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this good news, for this great story, the resurrection, that John gives us these details to validate the reality of the resurrection. God, that it's real. God, we know it's real because we see real people whose lives have been changed and transformed by the gospel. We see people's lives who have been in the pit of despair, who have been down and out. God, we see their lives changed and turned around because of what you have done for them. God, they have a new hope and a a new purpose in life, and we see that. And Father, we just pray this morning that as we let this settle in on us, God, that your spirit would just continue to move. God, that we would be convicted. God, that we would realize the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to 